0: Good morning, thank you for joining us today. My name is Daniel Teeter. I am a pastoral resident for our Brea campus and I am so excited to be able to be with you this Sunday, to be able to, to share this message with you and thank you just so much for joining us uh, and worshiping together with us. Um, <clears throat> I, I just consider this such a privilege to be able to, to be here and, and share this, this passage with you. I'm wondering if you are like me, and sometimes you can get a little bit sucked into finding out the personal stories of famous people, of like athletes or celebrities or business people. Sometimes it's kind of interesting to hear about how people with with so much and maybe so much wealth or so famous, uh, how how they actually live. Do they do they actually go to the grocery store? Do they where do they shop? Uh, do they do normal habits and routines like, like we do? Does, do people go and do they actually like do their own vacuuming and, and things like that? Is, are, how similar is their life to, to mine? And sometimes when, I so I like to hear about like what's their lifestyle like? What do you do when you have so much money or so much wealth? What do you do when you, everywhere you go people know who you are? it just seems like such a different world and such a different place compared to to what my life looks like and uh sometimes it's curious uh to see like even what what's their personality like what kind of person are they? i think we always take comfort when we hear about the person who who actually shops at target or or the person who's like really down to earth and they went and they they bought you know some dress for the red carpet from from JCPenney or something like that and we're always like wow that's that's a cool normal person even though they seem so so much different or so above where where I am but then we also hear about the people who it seems like they're on the other side where um, you hear about someone where you're like man they have how many millions of dollars and they're a bad tipper like like seriously, like why, how can you be like that? How can you be so thoughtless and so stingy with, with what you have? And it just seems incomprehensible. Um, I think that, that there's a Christian equivalent to, to what this is like. I think that there's times where, where people in the world can look at us and just be confused and think, how, how can you be like that? If you, you say you have so much, and yet why do you seem so stingy or why do you seem seem like you're so willing you're unwilling to give very much and what i'm specifically what i'm talking about is why does it seem like sometimes god's people can be so unwilling to show grace why does it seem like god's people sometimes are so rigid and without compassion how does, how does that even make sense when we say that we follow a God who is forgiving and gracious, and we say that we've been forgiven and received, received grace? How, how could that be? And the story of Jonah gives us some insight into this and, and how a follower of God can, can be like this and can be so unwilling to, to show grace upon others. So we're gonna jump back into the story of Jonah, the story that we've been talking about the last couple weeks. Uh, we have started off where we said that Jonah has been given a message from God to go to the people of Nineveh, where there he's supposed to give a message of repentance. God wants to see reconciliation between the people of Nineveh and himself, and so he's sending his prophet Jonah to go there. And Jonah, knowing that the people of Nineveh are an enemy of his country, he knows that they're brutal and hostile, that they're an aggressive rising foreign power, says, no thanks, and he goes the opposite direction. And he flees from God. He flees from, from this mission of sharing this, this message of grace uh, to the people of Nineveh. And as he's journeying on a ship in the opposite direction, He's met with a storm. And that's where our story is going to pick up today. And so the setting that we're gonna see as as this storm is approaching on on this ship is we're gonna see how the crew on the ship responds to the storm and what they do. And in this story that we've seen so far it has been um, very satirical. It's been very confusing and every character that seems like should be good is bad and every character that's bad is good. We're going to see this dynamic play out when we compare the crew's response uh, to Jonah's. And so as this storm approaches, we see that these sailors on the on the ship, they respond with with virtue they see the storm and there's something about the storm that's so dire, it's so severe and as they're looking at it, they know this is not just any ordinary storm and there's something about it that they that they come to the conclusion that this must be a divinely inspired storm. There's this is some kind of punishment or retribution that that a god is sending on us and uh, we don't know what's going on, we don't know why the storm is here, but we, we can conclude at least that point, that this is from a god. And so what they start doing is they, they react with humility. They, they call out to their god. They call out for help. And it's misguided. They're calling out to, to their pagan gods, but at least they're calling out for help, and they show some humility in that. In the ancient Near East culture, uh, people viewed gods as being tied to a certain domain. So there would be like the god of the river, there would be a god of like this tribe, there would be a god of, of fertility or farming, and the, each god kind of operated in their own little realm and didn't really go outside of their realm. So the, because the crew that was on the ship was probably a pretty diverse makeup of Gentiles, they each probably had their own god that they were following. So you could, they're on this ship, they see the storm coming, they know that this, this storm is, is from a god, and so each one of them is going to be calling out to their god and asking for their god to, to stop it. And they don't know what, which god is causing the storm, they don't know who caused, the, which person is the recipient of this punishment or judgment and they don't know what to do to appease the god so they're kind of going into this blind and just everyone just take a chance call out your god maybe we'll guess right maybe one of us is is going to know which god and and name the right god and we'll figure out what to do to satisfy him and then maybe the storm will stop so they they're just throwing throwing things at the the wall and seeing what sticks and hopefully one of them gets it right and so they, they're doing this, they're calling out to their gods, and then the next thing that they do is they know, while we're, while we're hoping that we, we can identify the right god, we need to do what we can to survive. So they look around on the ship and they see all of the cargo that they have and they start throwing it overboard. And they think, we, we gotta cut our financial losses, we're gonna take the hit, we're gonna give up the profits that we're gonna have from, from this journey. Our only goal right now is to survive. The, the crew show a willingness to, to give for the common good. There's charity involved in this. Nobody says, you go and throw out your, your share of the cargo and I'm just going to hold on to mine and then we'll see if it, if, if it gets worse and then maybe I'll throw out mine too. Everyone is saying, no, let's do what we can to survive. Let's sacrifice for the common good. So the, this pagan crew shows not only humility, but they also show a willingness to sacrifice for the common good. They show unity in what they're doing. This, this shows nobility, it shows virtue in what they're doing. They're misguided, they're worshiping false gods, yes. But it also shows that they have some character. See, sometimes I think as as Christians, sometimes we can get a little bit too caught up in having a cynical view of the world. Sometimes we can think the world has fallen, it's, it's, uh, it's breaking apart, it's going down the wrong path, it's on the path to destruction. Nothing good is coming here. Every, nothing is redeemable, everything is falling apart and sometimes we can have a little bit of a too much of a, a cynical or jaded view towards towards the world i think one of the things that that's comforting is seeing how our community reacts to tragedy like i even think of of what things we've seen recently with with COVID happening and how we've seen responses both inside the church but also outside the church of people willing to make masks and give masks away people willing when there was the the toilet paper drought and seeing people being willing to donate extra pieces or extra rolls of toilet paper or donate food i i made some calls at the start of the pandemic to to different food banks and and shelters and something I kept hearing was we've been getting so much help it's been really encouraging. And sometimes I think as as Christians we might think that we have a monopoly on virtue. And we can forget that in the very beginning of Genesis God says he creates all of us in his image. He says all of us have this this connection to to God. And, and all of us are made in his image. It's not exclusively Christians. And when we look at this, we see this passage in Jonah, we see the crew, though misguided and though their actions don't lead to their deliverance, we see that that they're trying. We see humility, we see redeemable qualities about them. Their efforts were insufficient, but they were sincere nonetheless. As our story continues with this being the setting of this terrible storm uh, approaching this, this ship and we see this crew pagan but acting with virtue, our prophet Jonah now enters the scene. And as we can make this contrast between the crew and Jonah, we see that while we would expect the prophet to be even more righteous than what the crew is. We actually see the opposite. The prophet of God, Jonah, he's unengaged and he's apathetic towards the fate of the ship. We see that we find this character in the story, he's below deck, he's asleep. And in the midst of this terrible storm where lives are at stake, he's nowhere to be found and he's completely unengaged with what's going on. The winds are blowing, the ship is rocking, and he's asleep during this. It says that he is in a deep sleep. So this isn't just a nap that he's taking, but it's likely that when he fled from God and chose not to go to Nineveh to deliver this message, he was probably at an emotional point of exhaustion where he was overcome with guilt, with, with sadness with anger, that he was at the point where he was so exhausted that he just needed to find a way to escape. And so he goes to sleep and he's in this deep sleep, but he's on this ship and his fate is tied with the fate of the crew. They're calling out to their gods and he's the one key to the one true God and he's unengaged. He, he's nowhere to be found in, in this situation. The captain goes down deck and and finds him in the recesses of the ship and I'm just, I'm trying to imagine what's the, what the captain's response would be when he sees him. Like he sees this man asleep. They're trying to figure out what God is angry with them, what God has sent this punishment. No one seems to be able to name the right God and one person isn't even trying he's not doing anything about this so the the captain wakes him up he thinks like how could this man not be praying to his god how could this man not be engaged with this problem how could he act so selfishly how could he be so concerned with what his own circumstances were that he's not doing anything that he shows no concern for for the other passengers on the ship the crazy thing about this is after he wakes him up, there's no response from Jonah. Jonah still doesn't say anything. It's, he's, Jonah's now aware of the problem. He's aware that, that the boat's rocking, that, that their lives are at stake, and yet Jonah still doesn't engage. It's not just his emotional exhaustion that's keeping him from engaging. There is, there's still something more than that. See, Jonah was the key person to call out to God and bring deliverance to the crew. And yet he did nothing. He remained hardened. He remained apathetic. He acts with less grace and compassion than the crew. And the the sad part about this is Jonah is even rejecting his own purpose. He's being sent here to bring light to the crew, to bring light to the people of Nineveh, and he's saying no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to isolate myself. I'm not going to take interest in in what they're going through. I'm not going to take interest in the people of Nineveh. I'm going to remove myself from this situation. I'm not going to participate. Can you, imagine with me the, this scenario, imagine you were taking a flight somewhere, you're on an airliner, you're flying, you're on this flight in midair, and all of a sudden you hear over the intercom a flight attendant who says, something happened with the pilot and the co-pilot. Is, is there anywhere, anyone else on here that, that's a trained pilot? We need someone to be able to land this plane. And you look over and you see someone in uniform, in their their flight attendant, in their flight pilot uniform, and you know that they can fly. They raise their hand. They can land the plane. And when the flight attendant says, come with me, they just, they just wave their hand. They don't even say no. They just completely dismiss them and say, can you, can you imagine how bizarre that would be? You would think. Can you do you not realize you're a part of this situation too? Like your fate is tied with ours. That should be motivation. But why how could you not be generous or compassionate enough? You have the training. Why can you why would you not do that just for other people's sake? It's it's such a bizarre situation. Why would Jonah not even respond, not even engage when this is what he knows, when he's the key? And when he knows God is the one true God who's over this storm, why would he not even do anything? It's such a bizarre situation. And the sad thing is that we as Christians can be like that. There's times where we as Christians, I think we can look at other people and we can think, I don't want to get involved with that. They brought that upon themselves. I, I, I don't need to, to engage here. They, they need to reap what they sowed. This, isn't, this isn't, isn't for me. They just need to learn the hard truth of this is what happens when you act like that. And so you deal with your own problems. I, I don't need to get involved with this see the thing is grace means that we draw close to people grace doesn't allow us to be apathetic grace doesn't allow us for us to be removed or to pull back or to be isolated grace means i move towards someone this doesn't mean that i take responsibility for their actions doesn't mean that I give up personal boundaries, it doesn't mean codependence, but it means that I should care for their well being and not be just waiting for them to fall or to fail. The people of God should be characterized by our willingness to take an interest in other people and have compassion for them. We should be characterized by our softness the people who are in danger, people who are hurting, we should be using the spiritual resources that we have to care for them. By spiritual resources, we are, as Christians, we are told that we have the Holy Spirit within us. We are told we have security of salvation. We're told that we have firsthand experience of what grace and forgiveness are like. Those are unique things that we have to offer because we've received grace and forgiveness, we can show that to other people. This is what we're called to as Christians. And unfortunately, this isn't always the reality of our response. See, as we jump back into our story, Jonah is is very aware of how God is involved in this. He's aware of his theology He's aware of who God is, and even that God is a gracious and compassionate God, but he is unwilling still to engage. And his hardness is mystifying even to the, the pagan sailors. See, as as after he's woken up by the captain, the crew go and cast lots, they they roll dice or or some kind of some kind of device or tool to, to figure out who, who, some kind of game of chance to see who, who's the responsible person. They're still trying to figure out who's the person that's responsible for this judgment, who's the God that was offended, and how do we appease this God? And so they cast these lots, and each time they do it, it comes up on Jonah. Jonah is clearly the cause, and so they ask him all these questions. say who are you where are you from what what's that domain that your god is is a part of that the god who was offended what can we do to appease him they ask him all of these questions he ignores most of them but he finally responds so he finally chooses to engage and say something he doesn't answer all the questions but he does say that he is a hebrew he identifies his origin and then he identifies his god he says he worships the lord the god of the heavens who's also the god over the dry land and the sea it's a curious way that he describes his god usually when we see throughout the old testament the way the lord is described he's described in identity to his relationship with someone like Abraham or Moses. Sometimes we see God described as the God of heaven and earth. We, we don't usually see that him being the God of heaven, the God over the sea and the land. This is an unusual way that he, he identifies him. And I think because of this unusual way of identification and the way that Jonah's been acting in this situation, I don't think he's making a proclamation of God. I don't think he's, he's proclaiming God's power and wanting the crew to turn and worship him. I don't think this is a message of evangelism. I think that this is ultimately a message where he's saying, look, I worship the God of heaven, the God who is over your little pagan gods. And he's the God, yeah, of dry land where part not just the land where I'm from the Hebrew land he's also the God of the ocean and the sea the God where this storm that we're experiencing right now is I think he he's making a claim to how great and how big God is but not for God's glory to be proclaimed I think he's ultimately doing this out of religious superiority I think he's ultimately saying my god is better than your god and what i mean by that is i'm better than you you're foolish pagans i worship the real god he states this and he leaves it at that he still never appeals to god he never asks for god to to cause the storm to stop He never looks for, how do we appease God? What do we do to, to have him relent? Instead, it seems that he would prefer that everyone drowns instead of calling out to God. He would rather everyone die than to call out to this God that he knows is a compassionate and graceful God. How much sense does this make? This is the nadir of Jonah's interactions with the crew. He claims to be a follower of this all-powerful, gracious God, but he's uninterested in showing grace to those outside of his community. We see later on in the book of Jonah that he's fully aware that God is gracious. He says he, the reason why he never wanted to go to Nineveh in the first place be, was because he knew that God was, was patient and forgiving. Jonah's fully aware of, of, of God's grace, and he's uninterested in it being shown on these people who he doesn't deem worthy of it. This is something that we can call incongruent. Sometimes we see people in our, in our conversations with people where what they're saying and how they're acting on the outside doesn't seem to match what's going on in the inside. So let me give you an example. Sometimes you, you see someone, you're talking with them, and they start sharing with you something that, that uh, was maybe a loss, something there was a tragic loss that they went through, maybe they lost a job, someone in the family, someone they cared about but they start cracking jokes during it. And you're just like, wait, this this doesn't match up. You just went through, you're trying you're describing something that's very sad and very tragic, but then you're making light and and cracking jokes and these two these two actions, this feeling and and the way you're acting don't line up with each other. Sometimes we see someone who maybe accomplishes something tremendous. There's a great achievement, but they feel embarrassed about it. They don't want to celebrate it, but rather they'd hide it. Sometimes we see things like this with what's going on on the inside is different than what's going on on the outside. This is incongruence and sometimes the action and the reality don't match each other. This is what Jonah's doing. Jonah knows about God he knows who God is but there's some where there's a disconnect from what he knows about God and how he's living out and relating to the rest of his creation and this is sometimes what we do see many of us we we know our testimony inside and out we could tell it to you in a 30-second version a two-minute version a 10-minute version we might know the key points of our faith we know what the gospel is. We're familiar with scripture. We can be well-versed in what our faith is, but still we don't engage people in graciousness. Sometimes we, we know our faith so well, our faith is, is well-understood inside of us, but it doesn't get displayed. We, we react to other people with apathy or a lack of compassion rather than gentleness, rather than grace. We don't draw towards people, but we create for the barriers. Though we're God's people and know about God, we can still be like Jonah and withhold grace. How does this happen? This, happen, this is, reflects a fundamental misunderstanding of God's grace. This affects how we relate to others, especially those who are different. See, in, in the conclusion of this interaction between our, our, the prophet Jonah and the crew, the crew are shocked by what, how Jonah is acting. See, in verse 10, they say, what have you done And then there's there's a statement after that where it says they knew what was going on. They knew the backstory of Jonah. They knew that he was fleeing from God, that he was choosing not to go to Nineveh, but instead going in the opposite direction. They knew he was fleeing from a compassionate God. And their question is, what have you done? I think, though, that the way they're asking this is that it's rhetorical. I think they're shocked saying. How could you be like this? You've described who your God is. You said he's a God who's compassionate, who's forgiving, who's gracious, and who's powerful. And you're running away from him. I think they can't believe that Jonah would do such a thing. That he would flee from a God like this. I think their question is, Is he not in awe of God? Has he forgotten who God is? Why would he act like this otherwise? And because of that, the crew observes that Jonah's indifference towards them is rooted in his perception of God. Jonah no longer has that awe of who God is and how God relates to us as people. Jonah no no longer looks at God as a God who is gracious, who gives without without merit. And instead, Jonah views himself as religiously superior. He's entitled to, to the blessings that God has given him. He looks at his history and he feels that he is someone special, someone who has this unique claim over God and God owes it to them, but he's forgotten what grace is. He's forgotten his own need and dependence for grace. See, at my previous church, I, I think something like this happens still a lot today. At, at my previous church uh, several years ago we were celebrating our 100th year anniversary of the church. So what we did is we, we created this banner. It said said 100 years on it. It had the dates of the hundred years and then it said celebrating a hundred years of faithfulness on it. And when I saw that, I was like, that's a really weird sign. Celebrating a hundred like it kinda of felt like we're giving ourselves a pat on the back like, we've been good Christians, we've gone to church for a hundred years, we've we've run this church and done ministry here for a hundred years, like way to go us. And I was like, I kind of feel uncomfortable with with this sign. It's it's a little weird. And as I started talking with people about it and and understanding a little bit more, I realized, no, 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 no. This isn't, we're not celebrating a hundred years of our faithfulness. We're celebrating a hundred years of God's faithfulness to us. That's what grace is. That's what the gospel is. That's what our faith is about. We have to be careful if we get too caught up in talking about how much we love God and how fired up we are for God, and we have so much passion for God, and we've dedicated ourselves so much to God and given so much to God, and we've done this and this and this for God, and we can easily forget that. Wait, wait, wait. It's about what God has done for us, it's about God's love for us. It's about God's faithfulness to us it's about his forgiveness and grace that he's shown upon us that dwarfs anything that we've done for him and so how can we focus so much on on what we've done for God when it pales in comparison to how great his grace his love and his faithfulness is to us and so when we start thinking it's all about what we are doing for God and how much we love God and what what all we've done to him we set this bar in our head and anyone who doesn't meet that bar anyone who falls short of that they deserve to get what's coming to them and they have to meet this threshold before we're willing to have compassion upon them but when we say no, no no grace and compassion is never deserved always been given freely by grace, then we're free to be soft and to say I want to care for those who are hurting and who are in danger. I want to get awkward for for a moment here. So the election's coming up and I don't want to tell you how to vote but this is this is what I want to say is something is wrong in our faith and in our perception of God if we don't look at those who are hurting, those who have been alienated, and be able to acknowledge their pain and have compassion towards them. We can, we can identify the what, what the best policy is. There can be agreements and disagreements about what the best approach to do to, to handle those situations are. But something's wrong if we can't look at people who are hurting, even if they brought it upon themselves, and acknowledge the reality of that pain. If we look at them with hardness, if we look at them with apathy, And choose to disengage we're not taking the path of grace so i'm not i'm not speaking to saying we need to open up borders or defund police or all businesses should be reopened so no one's out of work i'm not talking about the specific policy but i'm saying if we can at least acknowledge that people are hurting as christians then we're acting like a jonah See, this is what what Jesus did for us. He saw us in our sin. He came on earth, he moved towards us, he moved into closeness with us in grace, he died for us. Before, Before we repented, before we turned to him, he died for us and he offered us forgiveness and salvation. And I know for, for a fact that I didn't deserve that. I did nothing to earn that. We can view others with grace because it's never been about our goodness, it's always been about God's. This story that, that we discussed today it was an exchange between a pagan crew and Jonah, this prophet of God. But the characters are inverted, the pagan crew is the one that shows far more concern for the common good. It's Jonah who acts with religious superiority and is apathetic, ungracious, and removed from the situation. Friends, we can be guilty of acting like this. We can be guilty of acting like Jonah to, the, to our world today. We're followers of a gracious and compassionate God, one who desires that we be a light to the world and be willing to cross barriers and move towards other people. Again, still keeping boundaries, not moving into codependence, but not to stay away. Sometimes we cannot, we can choose to not want to have any part of it. And we don't display the characters of the very God that we worship. I I'm gonna ask something of you for for Halloween coming up. I uh, am an introvert. I like to stay at home, be left alone. Um, I don't always. I like being around people, but I'm not always the best with uh, with small talk and chit-chat and stuff, and so when people come to the door, if I don't know them, it's not my favorite thing. So a lot of times on Halloween, I turn off the front lights and I go and hide in the back room and watch TV back there and pretend no one's home, and this this was a common habit for me. So, somebody told me once though, hey, isn't Halloween like the coolest holiday for Christians? And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "It's you know, no, I don't, I don't want like Halloween." And they're like, "No, no, no, this is the one day of the year where it's okay to talk to your neighbors. You know, this is the one day where it's not awkward, like saying hi and what's your name and and how are you. You can strike up a conversation with them." And I was like, "Man, that's." That's a good point, and that's kind of convicting because I never take advantage of it. I'm I'm in the back room. I I just I'm watching I'm watching TV and keeping them away. This is, this is what I want to ask for you is if anyone comes to your house if you're home on Halloween and anyone comes comes by and trick or treats to have a mask already by your door and be willing to open the door and ask them what their name is. Have a a short conversation with them. Just be willing to engage with them. Write write down their name later on because you're gonna forget, I I forget, and who knows how God uses that connection later on in life. But just be willing to answer the door on Halloween. It's an opportunity to, to engage. It's an opportunity to move towards someone in grace. So that that's what I'm gonna ask if you if you would if you would do that with me. We'll we'll be doing that at, at my house. You can you can hold me to it. Let's let's pray together.